Welcome back, welcome back, welcome for the first time. Um, been, been, been going hard, got a little, a little coffee poo, so hopefully we can keep that uh, under wraps to better than yesterday. There's, um, the Lord's good and he's really good, and when we're doing this kind of stuff, he just always kind of gives us, at least for me, just a little bit of encouragement, just a little bit of like a light breaking through, just to let you know like you're on the right path, the right things are happening, you know. And um, a, one of the, a cool one, just that the Lord works through these contexts, is I got this email <clears throat> yesterday morning, and this time last year, we were doing something similar at the cathedral in, in Lafayette. And one of our, one of the young men we met there who works with the young adults, sent this email saying, um, hey, just wanted to let you know, like, we, we kind of hung out a little bit. Just wanted to let you know, uh, I just got engaged, and actually I met my fiance uh, in the confession line during the parish mission last year. So, <laughs> so if you met anybody last night, um, <laughs> nice one. Um, that's, that's pretty cool, right? You know, we just said, sweet, nice one. All right, so anyway, um, there's this, there's a way I like to talk about what the Lord does in our life a little bit and just kind of our approach to it, which is just this, like the friars, um, we're both worse and better than you think. We're worse and better than you think. What I mean by worse is just we got all the human stuff that y'all have. You know, everything that anybody experiences, we all experience. Like we're not any, we, our humanity is not any different. Um, but the fact, right, that these men with the same humanity, like, really kind of fight for community, fight for prayer, all that sort of stuff, like, there's more merit in that than if it was just kind of, like, easy and natural. And, and I kind of start with that because I'm going to share uh, a couple of stories to start out that kind of are insights into my own humanity and some of my own frailty and weakness. Um, and they're actually, this whole thing, the whole, like, this whole first part and the, the, the emphasis of tonight is, is, is a first. Never kind of really come at this night from this, this angle. Hopefully it's, it's of the Lord. And um, so the first thing to share, it's like when we share things like this, particularly with women, the feminine genius, the maternal side tends to kind of come out. We're just, this, I'm okay. I've worked through some of this stuff. We can just kind of like, we can laugh maybe. Uh, um, you don't need to console me at this moment. Um, but uh, I have a few pictures from like some retreat or something like that back in the day. And I have them, I and sometimes when I'm with people, I like to show them, just kind of just, it's just kind of funny. And what's, what I noticed <coughs> going through them is in like all of the pictures, I'm like, I'm doing, I'm doing like, I'm doing everything, a lot of peace signs, a lot of like, I'm number one kind of stuff. Um, but what's funny is actually, like, the one thing, so these are all, like, high school, young adult, the one thing I never did, like, in any of these photos I have, is just give a normal smile. The one thing I never did is just give a normal smile. And there's a reason for that. My mouth doesn't open all the way. It's just, like, a natural thing. Like, this part of my mouth, like, I can't make it go down. And so, one, like, what that means is, like, I can't do, like, a full smile. I just can't. And so I had this whole life experience of like school photos and being like the, the lady taking the school photo being like, okay, don't bite your lip. I'm like, okay, smile, like relax, smile. Like this is just, this is the best I can do. You know, uh, <laughs> this is what I got. Um, 
<laughs> or a tough one. I promise these like didn't go too deep. But I like I was at the dentist probably like right before getting braces, maybe like 12 or 13. And he's like trying to clean the back teeth. And he's like, okay, open wide. Like open wide. Okay, relax. Open wide. And he's like getting mad at me. And he's like, he gets out this like tool to like keep it open. And he's like, man, I only have to use this for like seven-year-olds. And he like, like, I'm sorry, dude. Um, doctor, um, it's all, I can't open it. I promise. I would if I could. Um, and I had a very funny one recently of, I was just visiting a college recently. And uh, this, this guy introduced me to his girlfriend who knows some of our stuff and wanted a picture, whatever. And so I'm like taking a picture and he's like, okay, no, father, smile for real. I'm like, nice, dude. Uh, if you only knew, <laughs> if you only knew, doing the best I can, you know. Um, but what's, it's just like, this is just a beginning kind of insight is like one of the things that happened uh, because of this whole like, experience of like, I can't really smile, I stopped smiling. I just didn't smile. Like, I can't smile. Like, when I see somebody and you, like, want to, like, like, you smile at them to say, like, I like you. I'm happy. It's good to be with you. Like, like, I just can't do that. I just can't do that. And so one of these things that just happened is, like, I just stopped smiling. And, you know, for pictures and things like that, I figured out another thing to do. Um, and so this is just kind of a brief introduction to, like, there's these, like, I didn't know until looking back on these pictures, like, what I was doing, and I didn't know why, but there's just these little, like, insights into how our humanity works. Like, we have these little, like, life experiences, these things um, that happen to us, particularly when we're young, and we start to develop behaviors and, like, response to this, right? And this is something that happens. Um, a second one is that, like, I was, like, a very late bloomer like a late, late, late bloomer. I went to uh, like a junior, junior high school with like probably 150 kids and there was, there was one girl who was shorter than me. Everybody else was taller than me. Freshman year of high school, I was 4'11 and three quarters. Uh, I usually round up to five, but um, not gonna lie in front of Jesus. Um, but I also, like, I just looked like I was like 12. And as a, you know, a... Uh, a young man at that age, especially like a basketball player, whatever, um, when people make comments of like, like they, and you know, like like a little teasing or something like that, like, like what are you doing here? Aren't you like in fourth grade or something? Stuff like that. Like, it has an effect, you know. And um, and again, I'm really grateful because I had a really good family and stuff like this. But so I could like navigate these things, it, it wouldn't crush me. But I just remember, I, I went to a Catholic high school. And I'd never gone to Catholic school before that. So I didn't, like, have a friend group coming in. And I had some buddies who were neighbors. And they were kind of, like, cool guys. And they were 14, and they looked 14, um, you know. And I remember, like, pretty early on in the school year, this is kind of, like, how high school does. It's, like, there's, like, there's, like, a movement of, like, kind of, like, cool to not cool within, like, a little group. And so, like, the people in the middle talking were, like, my buddies who were, like, kind of, like, athletes and cool guys. And then they were talking to a couple of, like, the pretty cool girls. And I remember one of them saying to me, and it was, it was weird, but she said to me, like, what are you doing here? And, and I, I just, like, and it wasn't, it, it wasn't super stabbing or whatever, but it was like, yeah, like, what are you, like, what are you doing here? Because I was just, I was just kind of standing there trying to belong, right? And, you know, so, so, so there was this kind of these experience, particularly through these kind of formative early years of just kind of being like the little guy and the, the overlooked guy and um, 
the not pursued guy or the kind of not uh, engaged, like no one's engaging with me, you know, kind of guy. And that just kind of formed me. And that, that actually kind of like affected some of the, the ways I, I would act, right? Um, basically, um, it kind of created this worldview of like, uh, like, nobody really cares about me or nobody really wants me to be around kind of thing. Um, and I remember being, uh, I, I joined the Friars when I was 24, I made vows, I guess, when I was 25. And I was living in my first friary and there was like eight of us in the house and one of the things that we do is we all have dinner together uh, every night from 5 to 6 o'clock or from 6 to 7 o'clock every night. We all have dinner together. It's a talking dinner. And I would just sit there and like be quiet. And I didn't think anything of it. It was just what I would do. Um, and at one point, the, like the, the brother in charge of the house kind of like had a meeting with me and there's like some evaluations and feedback. And one of the points of encouragement he had is like, hey, at dinner, like you got to talk sometimes you got to tell us about yourself. You have to share. And what I realize now is that, like, um, the concept of somebody caring about me or what I had to say or my story, like, that wasn't even in the realm of possibilities. Didn't even cross my mind that somebody would like to hear me say something about my life. And so subconsciously I just listened and I was just quiet and it's this funny thing because it's like it's real and it, and it has like some deep effects you know and still to this day I think like I'm working through it there's this like I went to you know some of you went to seek this big conference like 17,000 people I was asked to give one of these like side talks or whatever they call it breakout talks I legit thought like 100 150 people were going to come like this isn't this isn't like a joke um, there's 17,000 people at this whole thing. I thought maybe 100, 150 people would come. Less than is here. And they, like, take me into the room, and it's, like, this huge, like, warehouse. I'm like, this, what are they, why, why am I in this room, you know? And, and something like, like 3,000 people came. And there's, like, this thing, like, like oh, you still, you, st this is, like, there's, it's still there. Like, you're still surprised. Like, anybody wants to hear from you. You're still surprised that anyone wants that any like that, that anyone wants to receive something from you. Like it's still there. It's still there. And like more or less, if you know me, I'm like pretty comfortable with my own skin. But like you see these things, like okay, interesting. There's still something that the Lord needs to work on there. Um, and so this is like kind of this next point of um, some of the life experiences we have, some of the lives we've come to believe the roots of them can be so deep that they blind us to realities. Like, things can be happening. People can be seeking you out. People can be trying to engage you, trying to love you. People can be, like, delighting in you, rejoicing in you. But if you have this, like, concept, like, this lie that, like, no, nobody cares, even in the face of overwhelming evidence, um, we're able to kind of reject it and ignore it and explain it away as something else is happening. And that's just a real thing. And, and I share this now with, with one other story of um, a good friend of mine, and she shared this story. Uh, she was getting married, and um, her and her husband, they're talking about, like, how they want to be as parents and things like that. So they're talking about some of their own experiences of childhood. And, 
and her name's Joanna, and Joanna, when she was like a young girl again, about probably like, uh, probably sixth, seventh grade, um, she was taller than everybody else, like she had curly hair, and, and so she was just kind of different, and so kids, a lot of kids like were making fun of her, and this was like an ongoing pattern of just kind of kids like making fun of her and bullying her and things like that, and her dad would like sit her down and just be like, Joanna, you gotta listen to me, like, like you are beautiful, like you are beautiful just how you are, like I love you so much, and he would just like speak over and over and over again, like I love you, you're good, I delight in you, like, and he would like fight for her to, to receive this, um, but even as a young girl, she had this concept like, well that's just what dads have to say, that's just what dads have to say, and so even in the face of like her loving father, even in the face of her father who was like adamantly, repeatedly trying to speak this truth to, into her life, like, she couldn't receive it. She couldn't receive it because of some other sort of lie or explanation. Well, that's just what you have to say. That's just what you have to say. And this is part of what we, we want to work through, is there's these, these life experiences that we've all had um, that create these lies, that create these worldviews, that create these blocks, that create these veils uh, which prevent us from receiving the truth. They prevent us from hearing the truth. They prevent us from receiving the fullness of the gift that the Lord wants to offer us um, because of just these other lies through which we interpret uh, our entire lives, you know? And I'm going to talk about here is just like there's this, this is going to feel like super random. Um, I don't know where, I'm going to talk, there's like the song lyrics. I don't know where I heard it. It's a popular song. It might have been at like the airport or something like this, right? And, and a lot of you will recognize it. Um, this is the chorus. This is the chorus, right? I can buy myself flowers. <laughs> Wait for it. I can buy myself flowers. Write my name in the sand. Talk to myself for hours. I can take, I can take myself dancing. I can hold my own hand. As like a, as like a, as a father, um, like that wrecks me. That wrecks me. And I, and I understand the backstory of this might be like, like a very, very kind of painful and difficult relationship. And this is, this is the response. And this is the song. Try to buy yourself flowers. It doesn't work. Like, um, like to write your own name in the sand, you, it compares nothing to someone else speaking and knowing your name. To take yourself dancing, to hold your own hand. Um, this poor girl, through the experience of her life, her response her experience of life is life is dangerous and life is unsafe. I'm in it alone. And so I'm going to take care of myself and I'm going to do all these things. The experience of life has condemned her to a life of isolation. They condemned her to a life without love. They've condemned her to, to a life of just isolation and not ever being able to receive, to receive the love, to receive a name, to be 
to, to be to be to be loved and cared for. Like and it just breaks my heart. It just it just breaks my heart. And I share this again because I think this this is just such a human experience. This is just such a universal and broad human experience. Um, difficult things have happened. They have spoken lies into our lives. And so we have developed a worldview, a mantra, a song, a pattern of behavior um, in response to this. And all of these are walls and blocks um, and defense mechanisms of self-sabotage, of, of, of isolation, of self-condemnation. And we just believe these lies and we act from these lies. And here tonight, it's, it's a healing night. And, and certainly I believe and I've seen the Lord heal physical things through these little processions. But what I think the Lord wants to heal tonight and I propose is like a healing from any of these lies. Healing of any of these behaviors, any of these habits, any of these walls which prevent us from receiving the gifts the Lord wants to give us and the identity he has for us. And so what we'll do here is I just want to talk about like what, what does Jesus say to this? How does he respond to this? What do we know about that? And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to read a gospel and then I'm going to share a little meditation on it. It's a decently sized gospel, and it's one you've heard before. Uh, but I, but I'm going to invite you to to try and try and hear it again, to really listen. And right, this is this is from from Mark chapter five, and a great crowd followed him, and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had had a flow of blood for twelve years, and who had suffered much, under many physicians, and had spent all that she had, and was no better but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, If I touch even his garments, I shall be made well. And immediately the hemorrhage ceased, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone forth from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it, but the woman, knowing what had been done to her, came in fear and trembling, and fell down before him, and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. What we're going to reflect on is I want to reflect on the experience of eyes in this hemorrhaging woman's life. Her experience of eyes. 
And I want to do this because I believe um, that eyes, the eyes of another, they speak very persuasively and very eloquently. But not always truth, truthfully. So what is the experience of the eyes in this woman's life, right? To be hemorrhaging at this time and place and culture is to be unclean. And with that is to be outcast and to be contagious in her uncleanness. And so I imagine this young woman sort of walking sort of close to the village and she sees one of her childhood friends who's now grown and walking with children of her own. Someone she's known her whole life. And as the hemorrhaging woman approaches, this mother brings her kids close. And her eyes communicate to the hemorrhaging woman. You're dangerous. You're not wanted here. And then there's these eyes of these physicians. At first, right, they looked at her with hope, with expectation. As what they tried maybe didn't work, they started to look at her with curiosity. But finally, as everything failed, their eyes looked at her and said, you're hopeless, you're a lost cause. And then in this town, there's these, these people of a misguided religiosity. And to them, why else would this woman be experiencing what she's been experiencing if it wasn't for some sin that she committed? So their eyes looked at her, and they said, you're abandoned, you're guilty, and you're condemned by God. And then lastly, as I, as I, as I reflect on this gospel, I think of, of the eyes of her family members, her loved ones, who as she was sick early on, would come to care for her, bringing her what she needed, maybe daily, maybe weekly, and as one year became two years, became five years, slowly less went to visit her, and those who did went less often until maybe 10 years down the road, um, they stopped going. They stopped going. Maybe because of the shame, maybe because of the guilt, maybe because of the embarrassment, maybe just because of life moving on, and their, <clears throat> and their, <clears throat> their lack of a visit, and their lack of even looking at her, communicated, like, you're no one, and you're nothing. And the problem with what all of these eyes communicated to her is they're all lies. They're all lies. But these became the way in which she would look upon herself. And so when she thought of herself, she thought of someone who's unwanted, who is hopeless who was condemned and who was no one and nothing. 
But then, in her darkness, there was a flicker of light. There was a flicker of light as she heard of Jesus. And she heard about what Jesus was doing. And she heard that people thought he might be the Messiah. And they, she heard the stories of healings. And so as Jesus comes to town, what happens? She goes, perhaps because she tried everything else. But she goes with the faith that even touching the tassel of his cloak would heal her. But there's a very important uh, detail of the gospel. It says that she came up from behind Jesus. She came up from behind Jesus because although she could believe that touching the tassel of his cloak could heal her, she had given up all hope that good news can be written on a human face. So she came behind Jesus. And what does it say? She touches the tassel of his cloak. She's immediately healed. And then what does she do? She fades back into the crowd. She goes back into her identity as one unwanted and as no one and as nothing. And, ex and experiencing the power go from him. What does Jesus do? Jesus right, is on the way to, to visit someone, a, a young girl who's dying. And he, and he stops and he says, who touched me? Who touched me? And the disciples, they, they look at him like, what are you talking about? Like, a hundred people, everyone's touching you. They're all around you. And he says, who touched me? And seeing what's going on, this woman comes and she falls at his feet. And it says she falls at his feet with fear and trembling. And she begins to apologize for what she's done. And there she is, uh, kneeling at the foot of Jesus in tears, apologizing. And as she's done, as she's done saying what she had to say, she's there waiting, prepared for the yelling, the condemnation, the chastisement. And there's silence. And slowly, ever so slowly, she begins to raise her face. And then her, her, her eyes fall upon the eyes of Jesus. And then his eyes speak this. You are wanted. You are good. You are pursued. You are known. You are loved. You are mine. All of this summed up in the first word that falls from his lips. Daughter.
and it's in 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 it's just the truth of his eyes which eclipses which conquers which heals all of the other lies and now she can be fully healed and now she can go in peace my brothers and sisters I believe this is what Jesus wants to do in our lives again he's not content with us just getting by he's not content with us being faces in the crowd he's not content with us living uh, with the lies he wants us to be truly healed And he wants to speak this truth into all of our lives. The fullness of the truth that comes from hearing from his voice in his face, son, daughter. And that's what we're going to have the opportunity to do again today. 100%. Like if, if, if we're looking for some physical healing, we can bring that. The Lord is mighty and powerful and good, and, 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 and this is something that he has done and continues to do to this day. But my encouragement, right, as, as we're going to have the Eucharistic procession, right? So I'm going to come and bring Jesus to each of you to have a moment with you. But just to look at him and let him look at you. and the truth of his presence and the truth of his love like, to eclipse these lies that we may have experienced through our own sin, through difficult relationships, through different difficult experiences with family members, through difficult experiences with, within marriage, through difficult experiences with raising children, through difficult experiences with sports or school. All of these things that have happened that have tried to speak lies into your life and any of these lies which have taken root we're going to cry out to the Lord tonight and ask him to uproot them, to heal them, and to replace them with the fullness of his truth. Lord Jesus, we love you. And we're so grateful for your pursuit of us and your love for us. Life's difficult. Life's difficult, and there's a lot of things happening in our lives trying to take authority to tell us who we are. Jesus, only you have the authority to tell us who we are. Jesus, I just come in faith. I come in faith and beg your power and beg your movement and beg your goodness and your mercy and your truth to be spoken into the lives, into the hearts of each and every man and woman here tonight, that they may experience in the depths of their hearts the fullness of what it means to be son or daughter. And so in just a few moments, we'll begin the procession. And again, uh, some of you are familiar with this, some of you are not. I'll, I'll bring Jesus, the same Jesus, the same Jesus who pursued this woman is going to pursue you in just a moment and come to you again and single you out of the crowd. And often people like to reach out and touch the humeral veil, like she touched the tassels of Jesus. I'd invite you to do that if you're comfortable with it, but to look at him and to cry out to him and to allow him to speak again the fullness of his truth 
that his truth uh, may heal any lies. Thank you for listening. The ministry here at CTK is made possible through our generous donors and golden givers. If you would like to learn more or partner with Christ the King on LSU's campus, please visit ctklsu.org.